Life Audio. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. Hey, hey, hey. hey. Welcome back to another episode of Life After Addiction podcast. Uh, so we have some new subscribers. So what we like to do is just tell you about who we are and what we do. Uh, quick synopsis is we are S2L Recovery. Um, Adam and myself are the host and the co-host of this podcast. Usually today we have a guest and I'll get into that shortly, but we are a Christ-centered addiction recovery facility. We believe in true healing power found in a personal relationship with Christ. Adam and I both went through a decade-long addiction. We actually went through this program ourselves and we uh, developed a personal relationship with Christ and gave our lives to the Lord. And by doing so, we have found freedom from the chains and bondages of addiction. And so our number one goal is to promote that there is life after addiction and it is found in the cross of Jesus Christ Um, and so that's our message when God called us to this podcast roughly a year ago um, our our thought process was man if we could help one person if we could help one person hear the gospel and let them know that they're not stuck that they're not trapped that freedom is possible then that was our goal and since then uh, man, we've had countless messages, countless comments, countless emails, info at Spring to Life if you ever want to email us, have any questions regarding addiction. Um, just saying how much something that we've said, a verse that we've shared, a story that we've discussed, a guest that we've had on has helped their life. Um, and they've messaged us talking about, man, this is just something that I needed to hear. We've even had intakes into our program um, coming from the podcast. So praise God for how he uses this. Um, also, a big thing, a big monumental moment for our channel. I wanted to thank you guys for 1,000 subscribers. That is such a big deal. Uh, When we originally started this podcast, we would post the episodes on our uh, S2L Studios page. Since then, we got advice um, and encouragement to start our own channel. We did that about 10 months ago. Um, And so, yeah, we're here at 1,000 subscribers, which is amazing. So thank you guys. Like, comment, and share if you like our podcast. Um, It really helps to get our message out that there is freedom in Christ. Um, also, so the whole month of August, you know, you guys know we have a benefit concert coming up August 31st with Ben Fuller, Travis Ryan, and One Common. We are going to have booths set up at Life Point in Smyrna, Riverdale, College Grove, and Stewart's Creek. Um, so you can come see us at any one of those churches. The whole month of August will be there every Sunday. So come out, see us, support us, and we'll give you more information regarding the fundraiser and benefit concert. Um, do you want to play that TV or the T-shirt commercial now? So here's our new T-shirt commercial right here. All right, this is the newest S2L merch drop. All proceeds of this T-shirt are going to go to S2L Recovery Scholarship Fund. You can find these shirts at s2l.net. That's S, the numeral two, L.net. Check them out. So those are the new T's, Freedom in Christ T's. So check those out. You can find those at s2l.net. So uh, we'll also have those at the benefit concert if you are there. Um, Last little thing. So Adam is not here. He is usually the host. He's actually on a little retreat with his son. So shout out to Adam. Um, But we have a guest. So this right here you see is my brother, Travis. So Travis also serves and works here at the ministry. He has also... um, 
been through the program not once but twice gang gang i've came through the program not once not twice but three times so we're stubborn (laughs) hard-headed mules uh but man i'm excited to have him here today some of you guys are already probably familiar with him he does our wednesday word of encouragements uh this man has been given an anointing to preach the word um and the gospel of jesus christ so it's such a blessing to have him here but before we start adam had a little message for you you know even though he's not here physically He's still going to be here. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I apologize for not being there today. I am taking my son on a little man trip right before school starts. We're going to kayak down the river, uh, fish, have some cool convos. Uh, But, man, I wanted to jump on real quick and just say thank you. We reached 1,000 subscribers, and, man, that is such a big deal. Uh, It means so much to us. Um, I'm, I'm not going to take up too much more of your time, but hey, Travis, I need you to stare into your camera. Oh nope, yep, right, right in front of you. Yeah, stare right at it, and I want you to repeat after me. I will not mess up this episode. Won't do it. Fight the power. <laughs> fight the power. And Travis all the way. says, "I won't do it. Fight the power." <laughs> Uh, But, man, I'm excited today. Uh, Travis is one of my closest friends at the ministry and somebody I've had the privilege of walking with for how long you been here now? Two years? A little over two years. And that's the second time, right? Yeah. So you were here even before that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, man, I'd really just like for you to share your story um, with our viewers um, and just uh, I'll kind of maybe jump in here and there. But, uh, yeah, start from the beginning, man, what life looked like growing up, um, and we'll go from there. So I'd like to preface these things by saying that oftentimes the person that that people see today has no resemblance of the person that I was before. Amen. So sometimes it can be difficult to to see someone and think, like, that guy was the Ivy heroin user, the Mm. homeless person. Um, So everyone has a story. Everyone has a witness and a testimony. Mine started out with two parents who loved me very much that did everything that they could for me. I'm an only child, but don't hold that against me. They made me work. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, they taught me the, the right things to do. Um, when I was 10 years old, you remember Y2K, right? Yes. You remember I y- do. 1999 yeah. shouts out you know, TLC. <laughs> no scrubs was playing on the yeah. radio. <laughs> you know what right. I'm talking yeah. about? So, so, you know, there was a lot of fear involved in those things, man. And as a 10 year old kid, I, I just thought the world was going to end. And we did go to church. I did go to church and right there before, uh, 2000, I, I walked down to the altar and I recited a prayer after somebody because I believe that was the checklist to get out of hell free card. Mm. But nothing changed in my life. Nothing. There was no being renewed by the transforming of my mind. There was no new creation in Christ. I just continued for years and years and years to live however I wanted to live. And so, you know, of course, there was loss in my life. I watched my best friend die when I was 15 years old. There was uh, beginning an entrance into to using drugs and taking drugs with my friends as a social thing. And, mm. and I think a lot of us can probably relate to, you know, drugs being a social thing early on in the beginning, we want to fit in, right? We oh, want yeah. to be friends with people. So if I want to run with the cool kids and I need to do what the cool kids are doing. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where it started really. And, uh, of course, you know, it didn't, it never ends there. So, you know, progression, graduate high school, I was good at sports. I, I was a cool kid, yeah. so to speak, uh, and graduated high school and went to college and, 
you know, tried to do that, and drugs become more and more prevalent in my life, and it began to be an all-consuming addiction. To Isn't where. it crazy how that is, how it just starts off so innocent? Like you said, it's so ingrained and so embedded into society that, sure. like, you get into middle school or you get into high school and just smoking weed, it's just like, it's normal. It's what Absolutely. the cool kids do. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Um, drinking, you go to parties, man. It is like the coolest thing to do when you're in high school and you're able to like go to a gas station. I remember, you know, being in high school, there was a gas station over by my parents' house where I grew up that was known for selling cigarettes and alcohol to people who were underage. And like, you just think that's the coolest thing in the world. And it's an identity issue we see now, but it's so embedded and ingrained to society that man, smoking weed and drinking, it's just what you do. You know, and it starts out innocent. And that's what sin looks like, man. It starts out innocent. It's presented to you in an innocent, nonchalant way. And then before you know, like you said, man, my life is engulfed in sin. It was it was one of those things, too. It's like I knew better. I always knew better Mm. than to go down that road. I had been told I had been instructed in the ways that you don't do these things. But for some for some reason, it had this appeal, this allure to it. This like, yeah, if you do this, you can fit. I was picked on as a kid. I was overweight. I remember the, the school bus driver called me fat boy one day, right? And it's like uh-huh. I became mean in my own way because if I was mean, if I was smarter or quicker than others, then that was my defense, right? And I, I wanted to be accepted. I desperately desired to be accepted even on into high school I wanted the prettiest girlfriend I I lost weight I I wanted the prettiest girlfriend I wanted others to see me as important and whatever I had to do to do that it seemed like that those were the things that I was willing to do wow so you know of course when when you become involved in addiction it it takes more from you than you're than you're willing to give up and you get stuck and you get locked in this cycle and people used to tell me that you have so much potential. You know, I hated hearing that mm. so bad because there was others who could see things inside of me that I couldn't see for myself. Yeah. And they would say, you got potential. Well, that would do nothing but just get me fired all the way up. They're like, I'll show you potential. Yeah. I'll crash this thing into the ground and it'll burn all around all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, of course, it, it didn't stop. It didn't stop. And I probably went to rehab the first time. I'm a, I'm a rehab warrior, right? We talked about I've been to S2L twice, but I've been to other places multiple times. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm good at playing the rehab game. When did it start for you? When did you start? Was it Did it start out gradually with weed? Did it start out drinking? And around what age would you say it started? Yeah, so, I mean, like the, probably the first couple of times that I did drugs, I was 13 or 14-year-old smoking wow. marijuana, yeah. right? And, and marijuana, THC, has been com- – 
so normalized in mm-hmm. today's society. It was like, man, you can go to the gas station now and get, you know, these these Delta Eights yeah. or whatever whatever is going on, man. That that it's like it's so common and acceptable in society. It wasn't that way necessarily then, but it's become one of these things where it's like everybody does it, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's like, man, that is that's evil because. That wasn't the bullseye for me. Right. That wasn't even close to the bullseye. I, I, I broke my hand when I was 15 years old playing football, 15 or 16 years old, and I got prescribed per- painkillers, opiates, mm-hmm. right? That was the bullseye. Oh, yeah. That was, man, that's what I've been looking for. Mm. This feeling right here, oh, that's it, baby. I want this time and time again. I feel like somebody's giving me a big hug. Wow. And that fleeting and temporary sensation, it, it – I'll just be clear, man. You know, there there was things that happened to me in my life, loss. I watched people uh, very very close to me die. My, my best friend died of brain cancer, right? Uh, I found my, my best friend dead in his apartment from uh, what I believe to be a blood clot, right? It was not, not drugs. Um, and then a girl that I love very, very dearly died in a car accident. Um, this loss in my life, it did create trauma, but I did drugs because I like to get high. Mm. There was I wasn't sitting around at home thinking, oh well, I'm just so sad, so I'm I'm gonna get high. No, I'm gonna get high because I like to get high. Right. I like that feeling. I don't want to feel the everyday ordinary of life. Yeah. That's too hard. I don't want to do that. It's crazy how you talked about marijuana, and I used to be a gung ho pothead, weed head. <laughs> it's natural. It's from the ground, man. It's got to be good. You know, the only side effects are hungry, happy, sleepy. But man, what you just said really hit home for me too. That wasn't the bullseye. I mean, it. That wasn't the bullseye for me, man. It was a gateway to like, okay, now what? There's got to be something sure. better. And my first like real addiction was like you said, pain pills as well. And it's mm-hmm. like, yes. That's it. Like this is the this is the feeling that I've been desiring and chasing forever. That's this is it. Yeah. And then after so much time, man, you got to go to something harder and then you got to go to the next thing and then you got to go to the next thing. And then before you know it, like you said, you're shooting heroin. You know what I mean? And it's just it's never enough. These temporal earthly things are never enough. And it's always chasing the next thing. So you started out with weed. Yeah. You pro- you progressed to pain pills. Yeah. What did it look like uh, the first time you went to rehab? How old were you? How long had you been in addiction? Had those losses that you had were those before your first time in rehab? Yeah. So I was around uh, I was around 22, 23 years old, I believe, the first time I went into rehab. Um, and, and those losses had happened prior to to mm. that right and and one of the one of the big reasons that I went to rehab the first time was because there were people in my life that loved me and cared about me that seen the road that I was going down and how dark the end of that road mm. was going to be and in in the midst of addiction you begin to not care yeah. you begin to be worthless oh, yeah. you begin to accept defeat i remember being hopeless to the point where i, I used to hope against hope and, and what does that mean? I would hope that there was nothing to hope for because if there was, then that would give me a reason to change. And I just didn't want to change. Gosh. I was so comfortable in, in that depravity. Sin is fun for a season. Oh, it is. It is. It is enjoyable. And I wanted to do – it's the old J.G. Wentworth commercial, baby. It's my money, and I want it now. <laughs> I lived that. I lived that way for a long time. I started working at a – a uh, very reputable um, delivery service, right? I started working for um, delivering packages and stuff. I was making good money, and, and you know, I go to rehab, and I only went because Mama wanted me to go. That's the only reason I went to rehab. Yeah. 
It's like to, because I love my mom and dad. I love my parents. I don't want them to, to suffer mm-hmm. um, because of my actions. And so I went to appease and, and it didn't last. Man. How old were you, you said? I think I was 21 or 22, okay. right, right there, early, pretty early. Yeah. Uh, but I was fully physically um, dependent upon opiates, right? Alcohol was something that was always in the mix, too. Now, that was never the thing that I went to. It was, it was always the opiates is what I leaned towards. But, you know, the first, the first couple of times I went to treatment, it wasn't to get sober. And and then you get there, and it's like, well, you've got this disease, right? And you're yeah. just going to continue with this disease for the rest of your natural-born life. And then mm. maybe you can squeak by, and, and, you know, you can just, you know. Maintain some level of remission. Scratch by. Mm-hmm. I'd go to these AA meetings, bro, and it'd be guys that have been there sober for 30 years, and they look like they wanted to swan dive off a cliff. And yeah. I'm like, oh, man, this ain't cool at all. Like, you're telling me, like, this dude's got 30 years of sobriety, but that doesn't equate to joy. Yeah. It's not the same thing. Mm. Sobriety and joy are they're, they're very different things. Amen. So the first couple of programs you went to, they were secular 12-step oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. programs? Yeah, big time. So how long after you got out of both of those were you, would you say you were using? Immediately. Yeah. I mean, like within a week. Uh, and, and, again, I had no plans on getting clean. So, yeah. you know, I'm not going to say that there's not value found in right. treatment centers. Absolutely. Man, if the 12 steps bring somebody to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus praise Christ, God. praise God. God uses all things. Numbers chapter 22, uh, God uses a talking donkey. Yeah. Right? He uses all things, man. Yeah. all things. So I don't have any beef against the 12 steps or any, you know, the God of your own understanding. I got some beef against his name. Right. His name is Jesus. Right. Um, but, you know, of course, it progressed, man, to where, like, I found Suboxone, right? Started going to the doctor, the clinics, and, man, gosh, that's another wicked trap that you get. You can get oh, locked yeah. in where it's like, well, I'm legal. I'm getting all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, from a doctor. I've got a prescription, that that right there, that right there used to hang me up so many times, yeah. man, because we are the most manipulative <laughs> people ever whenever you're living a life of addiction. And if you've ever lived that life, you know exactly what I'm saying. We are the most manipulative people you could ever sure. come across. And I used to think that in my head, like I would try and come up with excuses of why I needed to go get a tooth pulled, why I needed to go do this, that, or the third. So I could get some sort of cough medicine, painkillers, something, because if I got it from the doctor, well, man, I need this. Absolutely. It's from a doctor. And so it would help me to justify my addiction. So I would literally look for reasons to go to the doctor, try and concoct some story of why I need this, whether it was to get Adderall, get Vyvanse, get painkillers, get cough syrup, get all these different things and i would justify my usage just because oh well, i'm getting it from the doctor when that's just completely ridiculous i remember the first time i lied to get to mm. get more yeah um and so i was young so we're, we're going backwards in in testimony years but when i broke my hand when i was a young man playing football i lied to the doctor because they give me uh you know i can't remember exactly how many painkillers right. it was but i went back and i still had a cast and i'm like oh this thing is killing me my hand is hurting so bad. It wasn't hurting at all. Right. I'm, I'm a young man, right? Young people heal like that, it mm-hmm. seems like. And, and there I am in there just like, you know, crying and whining. My intent the whole time was to get more of these. And I knew that if I could get more, my mom would get them filled. The prescription would get put in the cabinet. And then I could go just, you know, steal one or two here and there and here and there. That was the first time I lied. There is something wrong with somebody right as far as like substances go if you're using substances and you are lying to continue to use those things there is a serious problem yeah there is a serious problem and 
you know, I can, I can look back and just so clearly see that the lies and the manipulation was so intertwined, like you said, if I can get it from a doctor, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. Or if I've got a prescription for it, it's okay. But yeah, I'm still abusing this. I'm still dependent upon this thing to get me through the day. It's so gnarly. Yeah. And even a step farther, justifying our use, you know, we mentor guys from all over the for country sure. and we've lived it ourselves for many years, but like justifying our use in regards to, well, I still mm-hmm. got a job while I still pay my bills <laughs> while I still take care of my kids while I still am married to my wife while I still. And it's like, yeah, no one's talking about any of that, mm-hmm. right? You're saying that and by means to justify your use and to continue to live a life of addiction and a life of bondage and a life of debauchery. But the ways we justify our sin in the midst of addiction is ludicrous, man. Oh, absolutely. It's ludicrous. And, and you know, there's, there's, this, there's this certain stigma that comes along with drug addict where you do everything you can to fight against being labeled as that because mm-hmm. a drug addict is the... The bottom of the bottom it of is. society, man. Like it, I've been homeless. We can get to that part. We'll get to that part, right? I was homeless and and as a drug addict, and I've did all these things in my life. But look, the homeless person uh, versus the drug addict. The drug addict is uh, addiction caused me to be homeless. Let me be very clear about that. But the drug addict is looked at as the worst of the worst of this society. I mean, as someone who's like, you had a choice and you just threw it away. And and there is some truth to that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we shouldn't treat or belittle people that are struggling in addiction. Look at them as less than. It happens in the church all the time. Yeah, All the time where I don't think the church... Um, institution wise knows how to deal with people that are in addiction. It's like, we'll just put them over here in this corner and hope and pray for them. We got to come alongside them and say, look, man, we, you gotta, you gotta get this thing right. You gotta do better. And you know, and we talk about that all the time, just do better. And that's so simple, uh, but it's so hard to do. And so, Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. It's just, it's, it's difficult. Life is difficult and and justifying the way that we're living. I've got a job. I was a master at that. I I was a 13 year employee at a, at a company and that, that I worked at. And if you could put up the numbers, man, they really didn't ask all that many questions, right? I'm going to go deliver all these packages every day. And as long as I get it done in a timely fashion and, and don't hurt anybody doing it, man, I can show up again tomorrow and do the same thing. Yeah. So what did that look like once you got out of those first couple rehabs and going yeah. back to home? I'm assuming you were working at that job that was, whole time. So you'd go back to the job, and then it just quickly would go right back off the rails and yeah, it, ended the, up doing the same thing. You know, there's a sense of, and I think that all people are looking for this, a sense of purpose in life. Yep. 
Amen. right? And and I would go and I would deliver those packages every day. And you know, I would go and I'd, I'd get in there and I'd look at that truck and it would just be filled to the the max with boxes. I would go deliver all of them and then I would show up again the next day and the truck would be full of packages again. And I felt like I was just spinning in a cycle, man, with no purpose. I'm just doing this over and over and over, and I'm 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 not. This is not what I was made to do. Mm. And and I just felt like there was something deeper. There was something more to it. And so I did. I become just consumed again with addiction. Again, man, I say it. I like to get high. Yeah. I, I enjoyed using substances to not feel the boringness or the 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 simple things of life. I had no enjoyment of the little things anymore. And things that I used to love to do fishing, being outdoors, all those things, they just kind of fell to the wayside. And I did, I went and it, you know, I would go to Suboxone clinics and then I would trade my Suboxone for, for drugs and, and I would buy drugs and I would do drugs and, and I started using more drugs, harder drugs. So yeah. meth became something that I would do a lot of. Xanax would be something that I had to have every day. And then it got to this wicked place, man, where if I didn't have this, if I didn't have some sort of opiate, benzodiazepine and amphetamine each and every single day it was a bad day Mm. and I had to have those things chemically to function if I didn't have one of those things I wasn't going to be a productive functioning member of society yeah I mean to the point where I I can't work I'm physically dependent on these things if I don't have them but I come very good at putting on a mask and being a chameleon I so so the job that I was in it allowed me to experience many different socioeconomic groups where I would go I would be downtown talking to uh, lawyers and doctors and then i'd be in the hood eh, talking to the low-income people yeah. right and, and and everything in between so i became a chameleon i became very good at adapting my speech my my attitude my the way i carried myself was fully dependent upon where i was at at any given time it wasn't just who i am and especially who i am in the eyes of a of a loving and caring god yeah I think that's what's so hard, man, because it's, it's an identity issue. And I didn't know that, you know, I didn't grow sure. up going to church a lot and knowing the Lord and reading the word and praying or doing any of that. But it's such a deeply rooted identity issue. And like you said, as a man, we already have pride in general, man. Yeah. Like we're supposed to we're raised from a young man uh, to have your chest out, chin up, man. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, you're supposed to be a protector, a provider and showing emotions is weak, this, that and the third. And like you said, to be a drug addict, I mean, you're <laughs> below the homeless people. You're below whatever yeah. lowest person in society you can think of. You are below that. So For come sure. to coming to the realization and the reality like, man, that's that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that obviously in an identity in Christ sense, but like before I knew the Lord, man, that's who I am. Dude, that's a tough pill to swallow. Like that's a tough pill to swallow that I am the lowest of the low and my life you know, um, is worse off than it's ever been or ever possibly could be. And just to be seen that way, to be seen through that lens by others, gosh, it is the most hopeless feeling in the world. Cause like you said, addiction is so consuming. It's already hopeless for me, but let alone when other people see me as the drug addict and I'm the outcast and there's no hope for me. It's like, man, it keeps you in that cycle. And it's not an excuse. I'm not a victim. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just expressing the feelings that you experience whenever you are in a life and consumed in a life of addiction. Hope changes so much. Everything. It changes everything, everything. man. And when someone is hopeless, they got no reason to live. They have no purpose. Amen. They have no 
uh, thought that things could even get better. You yeah. are stuck. There's no desire to live, dude. I, I prayed to die for years. Like, God, if you're real, kill me. Like, there's hmm. zero desire. Not, a, not only not hope, there's no desire to live. No. That's so interesting, man, because I wonder how many people are out there today, right yeah. now, that are wanting to die. I remember the same thing, man. I can't go on like this. I didn't have the, what I thought in the time, I didn't have the courage to take my own life. I didn't want to live anymore, but I couldn't kill myself. Like I was stuck in between death and death. It seemed like, and and it was a wicked place to be in. It was such a wicked place and hope man changes so much. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to part one of Travis's testimony. I know him and I can get long winded when it comes to discussing the things of God um, and just how he's moved and worked in our lives. So uh, tune in to part two next week and find out more about what the Lord has done in Travis's life. We want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Life After Addiction podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of their faith-centered podcasts and their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and much more. Thank you so much for listening today, and God bless. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.